Welcome everyone to another edition of Kiwi Talks. I am speaking to a well-known veteran New Zealand actor. He's been in films such as The Hobbit, King Kong, basically a good friend of Peter Jackson, I'm sure. And he's a, and he's a master of theatre. And he's a comedy uh, veteran as well. I'd like to welcome Mark Hadlow. How you doing, sir? Thank you so much, man. That's nice. Yeah, I don't know about a, a close and personal friend of Peter Peter Jackson, but <laughs> he certainly is um, uh, the most amicable of people, and um, I've enjoyed working with him on every project that I've been involved with. Yeah, amazing. I just I just assume that because obviously he's cast you in a number of films now. Is well, yeah, I think it's um, um, I think it's um, about the work, though. To be honest, um, you know. It, it, there's a still a, a percentage of um, of your work that means if you can deliver the goods on the day when and where you do it and you deliver them to a really good sort of, you know, standard, then you get the repeat work. It's like anything, you know, you have to, um, you have to put in the work to make sure that you, on the day, you produce the goods. And um, that's been my, I guess, my motto for all of my career. Um, I work as hard as I can for the people that employ you, you know. It's as simple as that. And, um, yeah, I'm very lucky to have actually done, what, four projects now with Peter. I mean, I'm not in the Jed Brophy category, who's done almost every single film <laughs> that people, people, Peter's produced in New Zealand. Um, but uh, but there are a lot of um, there are a lot of great things that uh, come out of that. Um, yeah, fantastic. And, and, you know, what he's done for... New Zealand film um, and New Zealand actors and New Zealand crew, people, industries, you know, other industries associated with it. You know, there was a huge amount of money made out of Wellington when we did The Hobbit, not just in the film business, but like hospitality, um, hotel, oh, same thing, but hospitalities, taxis, um, accommodation, restaurants, bars, boom, you know, a huge amount of money made and spent in Wellington and in New Zealand. So. You know, the industry um, has a lot to offer, not just the people who are involved in it, but outside of that with the um, industries that are attached to it. Yeah. yeah, because there's a bit of a before and after Lord of the Rings, I feel. I mean, I can't think of anyone else who's had more of a profound impact on New Zealand in the last 50 years than him in regards to what it did for New Zealand, obviously Wellington. But if you think in terms of tourism as well, uh, and even like attractions like Hobbiton, it's just... <sighs> crazy well, and we're like synonymous I mean, yeah. with middle earth now like when well, people Hobbiton's think of new zealand berserk isn't it I yeah. mean, you know i was talking with oh, names gone out of my head completely who, who set it all up and ran it but they they've gone up like something like four or five hundred percent you know before we hit COVID, of course and he was telling me that it's just gone it's gone crazy you know uh, but it's really interesting how the tall poppy syndrome seems to pop up regularly because, the, you know, like there was Matter Matter, um, which has got Hobbiton, which is one of the biggest attractions that we've ever had in New Zealand from the perspective of, of uh, tourism. And, um, you know, local people complaining about it and you're sort of going, um, sorry, what, hold on, let's just back the bus up a bit here. Yeah. Um, you know, this is some, this is, you know, this is, that benefits. I mean, imagine the people coming into Hobbiton who go through um, all those towns, Cambridge and Hamilton and and come off what used to be cruise liners that come into Auckland to get buses down, people out of Tauranga, people out from all over the country that would go to Hobbiton and still do go to Hobbiton. Um, but it's the same with Weta Cave in Wellington, you know, Weta Workshops. Yeah. It's an extraordinary attraction. And, um, you know, I can't talk too much about it, but something's going to be happening in Auckland very shortly too, which is pretty exciting with regards to Weta. So, um, yeah, I know, yeah. I know a bit about it. 
Some yeah, people told me to stuff behind the scenes, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's, I mean, I've just done something with it and it's, and I'm very excited to it. I mean, Richard Taylor is just, he's just so incredible. I mean, he's just onto it and he's just like, I, the, the man's brain must be like fizzing, um, you know, in such a different way to how Peter works, I guess, you know, like Peter's fizzing from the perspective of, of the film and all that sort of thing. But the way Richard works and seeing these things and the way these things come, the, the mechanics, the mechanisms, the, the the vision that they have, you know, the animatronics and all this sort of stuff, it's phenomenal. And this is New Zealand. New Zealand. Yeah. yeah. And it's, that's right. it's extraordinary. And, that, and, you know, one of the things that I was talking to him about was the fact how we have to keep up to um, we can't just sit on this one level. We've actually got to keep raising the bar all the time to keep up with what's happening overseas. And, and that's something that we we need to be, well, we don't have to be, compl- we can't be complacent about. We have to keep uh, not reinventing the wheel, but looking at new ways how to spin the wheel. Um, you know, that's probably really important. I mean, we're going through a huge change uh, in live performance at the moment in New Zealand because COVID smashed um, the big, like, no shows right through the middle of it and um you know we were we were going through a bit of a phase change anyway prior to COVID uh but the live theatre experience is about getting back into the New Zealand um uh, psyche and um getting it back into their way of life because this what you and I are doing right now with all this computerization and technology and all that is taking people away from the live experience and no matter how much you look at something on a screen and it may have a touch of three-dimensional to it, it's not the same as a live performance. It never will be the same as a live yeah. performance. And uh, my, I guess my my desire is to inspire New Zealanders to get back to live theatre. That's why I took Mammal on the road straight away. Um, get out there, get people back into the theatre. And we went to Hastings. Um, well, Nelson first, and Nelson people just went, boom, let's get to the theatre. Hastings did exactly the same in the new venue that um, uh, Megan Peacock Coyle runs. And um, um, and and it, it's just got, um, hey, Toy Toy's beautiful. Um, same with um, Hamilton, with, um, you know, these, these and these are independent, um, they're not professional theatre companies, these are independent um, in-house um producing venues that that um you know were hit really hard and they didn't really get as much the support as um because some of them are owned by the council of course but uh, some aren't and they've been really hard hit so it was really good to get out there and start supporting um all over the country and we had people come to the theater that hadn't been to see uh shows for a long long time and that meant a lot to me when people said, wow, that was really good. We really enjoyed that. Thank you for reintroducing us back to live theatre. Because, this, you know, everyone's raving about Hamilton, which is fantastic, and there's no doubt about it. But it's, um, but it's still, I, I, I'm sure it's still not the same as being live. I know um, Alison Quigan, who I'm working with at the moment, is absolutely besotted with Hamilton. Um, uh, and uh, and uh, I haven't seen it yet, and I'm holding off as long as I can until I know what this craze and this desire is about. But I, but I still think that um, the live theatre experience and making it affordable—that's the thing, you know. You know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's striking that balance, right? Because obviously you don't want to make it too cheap because you need to make a profit, but then you don't yeah. want to make it too expensive that it dissuades people from 
wanting to go to the theater. I used to watch a lot of theater when I was younger because my brother used to do a lot of those theater shows, Jesus Christ Superstar, Pirates of... Who was that? Uh, My brother, Nathan Riley. Did I work with him on Jesus Christ Superstar? I don't think so. Is that the the show that went around New Zealand? Um, I think he... I'm not sure if he did the, the... the big big one he might have just done like a local one i think okay all right yeah okay. yeah no, no, but he we did, we, we did not, one in 94 no it's probably before you and your brother were born i would suggest <laughs> well my brother's seven years older than me so no no too I'm, young he would have been about eight no he <laughs> yeah and i'm i'm 33 so whatever age he really get out of here i thought you're about 20 get out of here <laughs> Uh, yeah, so like I, I enjoy a lot of those live shows. They're, they're really great. I think um, I watched, uh, what was it? There was a Queen musical that I, I watched. I think that was the big, the last big one that I watched. But you just can't beat the live experience. No. The interactions with the crowd, and it's a different type of acting for you, right? So say, well, it, as opposed to theatre versus film. It sort of it sort of is. It's just um, in film and um, in television, it's sort of just ooh, it's just brought down a little bit. I mean, the intentions and the emotions and the feelings and and um, what you have to go through within yourself to to produce the honest or the truth of the performance is still the same. Um, you've just got to increase the size of it when you're in a in a in, a, in the capacity of the theatre. Like if you're playing to 100 people, 200 speaker. If you're playing to 1,000, it's a lot bigger. You've got to reach the back wall because otherwise the back three or four, five, six rows can't hear you. It's that simple. I mean, the technical aspects of performing live are actually, there's an old quote which is, uh, just say your lines and don't bump into the furniture. <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> true. But you've also got to reach the back wall vocally, and that's where, um, you know, voice training when we went to theatre corporate drama school back in 1978. Um, you know that those sort of things help you develop this incredible um, instrument, your vocal cords, and um, the vocal cords are very, very precious to any actor, and you have to look after them. So, no smoking, um, and um, <laughs> and um, not so much drinking, um, and um, uh, so it's really important that you um, you look after it. And, and I just value greatly, you know, the, the teaching that we got, you know, Linda Cartwright and. Um, uh, Elizabeth McRae, who gave, were voice tutors way back in 1978, what we learned then and how we utilise what we learned then still now, vitally important, vitally important. And that's the technique. Um, you know, I, I think, I don't know, you know, the training now seems to be 15 minutes of fame. It's all about television and film uh, and yeah. the live experience, you know. Um, I mean, we were having a huge argument yesterday about how important the classics are, and we were thinking even the word classics would turn people off. So it's um, it, it, and it doesn't. I mean, there's a Shakespeare and and Ibsen and um, Chekhov and all those things that you know that they're still they're still hugely popular now because of their content, because of the writing, because of actually the social, uh, the social pressures and feelings and emotions of what, what the characters um, have drawn off the page. I mean, I've done lots of them, but you get, the, oh, you can't beat it. You really can't beat it. And, um, you know, we have our own, you know, um, Alison and I are doing a, a Roger Hall, um, who is one of our, greatest playwrights, you know, he's written over 40 plays, you know, of which most have been huge, hugely uh, successful in in, in not only in New Zealand, but overseas as well. Um, 
So we can do it here too. That's the other thing, Reese, that I can talk forever about. By the way, you need to stop me if I go on. That's right. That's right. Um, but you know, the ta- you know, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of my associates, a lot of my friends and my close friends um, who work in this business, they're as good as anyone else in the world. They really are, and uh, they can do it. Um, and it's just sometimes we don't have the financial capacity to give it the spectacle that it needs. And and I think you know that's. That's one of the issues that um, that we face here, and I think uh, you know the COVID thing may have actually been a bit of a uh, a bit of a good thing for us because you know local yeah. is vocal, and that's about what we've got to do. You know, us as a profession have got to get out there, take our little tours, take our little go into the regions and say, hey, this is as good as you'll get anywhere in the world, and you don't have to pay one hundred and thirty five dollars a ticket to go and see it. Well, Listen, I imagine, I imagine because of the way we've handled COVID compared to most countries or even westernized countries, obviously New Zealand is being viewed as a bit of a safe haven. And I know Jacinda's mentioned, you know, about using the brand of New Zealand to attract uh, people here. I know there's a number of film companies that are from America that are currently filming here and it probably needs. And I I think particularly for the film theater, uh, that sort of scene can um, experience exponential growth just from our, brand and the way we've handled things. I mean, we don't know how long this COVID thing is going to go on for. No. Well, yeah. I mean, people are people are sur- surmising that it's sort of like midway through next year or something, but wow. we're, seeing, we're seeing upturns. I, I mean, know. you know, there are certain persons in the world that are not helping things at all. Um, let's not use this as a forum to talk about the idiots of this world. Yes. Um, but let's talk about the, the positives of this world. Um, you know, this is a, a an opportunity for. I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, when we uh, when COVID happened and we had lockdown for six weeks, yeah, um, the pollution dropped, yeah, a huge amount. Yes, green gases dropped by huge amounts. You know, you know, we kept going and we were in lockdown for maybe a year. <laughs> maybe the climate change and the temperature of the earth would drop down. I mean, it's really interesting. But, uh, of course, we have to be practical. We also have to be realistic. Um, there are billions of people in the world uh, that live on a dollar a day um, who live entirely uh, by that. And, uh, you know, clo- global warming and green gases and all that sort of thing mean deadly squat. And I understand that for them. Yeah. It's about us, though, as, as, as supposedly us uh, getting out there and doing something about it. I mean, it's interesting. I've seen three documentaries late. The, the David Attenborough film about what's happening with global warming and what's happened and over the last, you know, 200 years, which is extraordinarily scary. I started to watch the water one, um, which um, there's a lot of um, you know, Liam Neeson and... Matt Damon and um, I'm sorry, sorry, I just love it. I love it. I love it. I don't know whether Matt Damon likes it. He probably hates that, but but I I, I just um, you know these guys are doing so much to bring that to our um, our our you know our four. I mean, people just dismiss um, actors and um, and celebrities or whatever, however you like to refer it, as being a bit sort of like wacky. But actually, some of them are not. Most of them are not. They're actually very intelligent. We yeah. are very intelligent people. It's the minorities yeah. that, you know, that the vocal minorities it. destroy yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I kind yeah. of feel like when it comes to climate change, we're kind of like the frog in the boiling water. 
<laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like if, if, if it had been very sudden, then I think people would have been like, oh my gosh, you yeah, know, but, but, but because it's, a, it's yeah, like a slow, slow uh, thing that people are just kind of like, eh, you know, and you I know feel, I mean? and you've probably done a lot of traveling in your time. I, cause you spent yeah, a bit of time huge, in India. I've, I've been to India. Yeah. 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 And like, oh, obviously, yeah. uh, you know, it's a completely different world to New Zealand yeah. and, you know, even there with the pollution, it's very, I think it's very easy here in New Zealand. If you don't do a lot of traveling, you can kind of become disconnected entirely yeah. from rest, from the rest yeah. of the world. And I know for a, a long time, until I started going traveling, I didn't actually appreciate New Zealand. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the lush, beautiful landscapes, the fact that you can just see stars, the, the sky, you know, without the, the pollution. It's just stuff that you take for granted until yeah. you start visiting other places in the world. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing from what you're saying, specifically from what you're saying, is until you travel, you don't really get the huge poverty. Yes. You, 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 you just you don't get it. Um, and we see it on the television, but it's quite removed from television. It's a bit um, desensitised because you're looking at it on television. But um, what people need to do, and I think that's why the Matt Damons and the Liam Neesons and, and all the people that are doing what they're f- doing, which is unbelievably good. Um, but if you haven't done any travel and you haven't experienced that, it's really hard for us to sit here in New Zealand and say, we should be doing this, we should be doing that, because it's like we've got to stop this until you see actually how hard it is um, with billions of people below the poverty line. I mean, you know, we, we, we've got to do something but it's a global perspective that we've got to do it on, not necessarily just in New Zealand. I yeah. Mean, and the problem is when it becomes overly politicized as well. Yeah. And it's, it, it's also really, really complex. You know, it's oh. like, Uno, you remove one thing and something from, else falls. And, and something else fall, like it's, it's, it's such a complicated yeah. thing to solve. And so I mean, when maybe it's, are, a, it's about stopping the cows farting. I don't know. Maybe, you know, well, yeah, but then it's it's obviously New Zealand in particular. You know, we rely a lot on those cows, particularly now. Yeah, you know, and that's the that it's such a conundrum, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. from a, from a country that used to have ninety million sheep, ninety million sheep uh, in in the sixties and seventies, to a country now that has less than thirty million, and we have cows coming out of our ears. Um, and, you know, and the rivers and, and all that. And, you know, and we, we, we give the farmers a hard time. Um, and, you know, most of them, are, I am sure, are completely aware of how important the environment is. I'm sure they're not. These, these, I'm sorry, these guys can't be farmers if they're idiots. They, they can't be. They have to be some sort of, I mean, I think they're incredible. I really do. And, um, but just as I think everything is important. But as you just said, you take one thing away from something else and the other thing falls over. So it's about how we manage that, how we, and I've got no answers for that. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an imbecile when it comes to that sort of thing. But all I know is that um, we're trying to get out there to entertain people and that, that laughing, using the laughing muscles, which is two, um, is far more healthier than using the frown muscles, which requires 32 yeah, well, that's how you get wrinkles faster as well. Yeah, that's it? why I don't have any wrinkles, you can see. Look yeah, yeah. No, no, pretty no pretty face. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, oh, Reese, we could, we could solve the issues of the world like you and I. We, sh- you know, we, we could, but unfortunately um, it, it, it's got complex, as you said. 
hugely complex. Yeah, and uh, I don't like, I mean, obviously the elections are over, Jacinda's won, but I know during that whole political phase, it almost becomes tribal. Well, you know I, what I mean? Us yeah. versus them. There's yeah. no, there's no middle ground. It's like, no, no. you know, some are policies either, are good, some are bad. Yes, it's all right. And yeah. or blue or, or red. You yeah. Know? Uh, and, um, and it was really interesting. And some of the, some of the, some of the personal attacks were quite un, unjustified and quite, I mean, the thing is, I think New Zealanders saw when it became, um, uh, for the first time, I think they saw when it became really silly stuff, mm. you know, like some of the stupid stuff that it doesn't matter what party it was but or, or who it was, but when it becomes personal, then you realise um, actually you haven't got a point. You're just saying something to put someone down because you think that's, because that's all you've got to do. And I think that's what's, we've, that's what's come, come out really, really clearly in this election um, is that, you know, slinging mud at someone or saying someone's not up to the task of something um, just because they're in the other party, that doesn't hold anymore. That doesn't, that doesn't stick. Um, and I think people are aware of that, whatever your policies are. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, business people always saying to me, oh, my God, we, you know, we're in deep trouble and more. Well, we all are, you know. Yeah. I'm self-employed. My business imploded. Uh, in one day, I lost, I think I lost about $85,000. Contracts just went wow. Boom, 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 boom. So how did, how did you manage? I mean, because obviously you live in Christchurch as well, so you've been through. No, I live in Nelson now. Oh, you live in Nelson? I, but yeah, you did in live in Christchurch. Now. Yeah. Um, well, we were in, we were, we suddenly went, uh-oh, because we were like one month into building our new, uh, building a, a downsizing, building a smaller house in Artify in, in Nelson. And uh, so the wife and I thought, oh, my God, how are we going to deal with this? All I can say is thank you for the wage subsidy. The wage subsidy was incredible. That was a masterstroke. And I know people are going to say, oh, yeah, we've got to pay for it for the rest of our life. But listen, you know what? It, without that, we'd have just fallen apart. We would have fallen apart completely. I mean, people think about it, yeah, the business situation is huge and I understand that, but what about the people who do have a family of four and are on, you know, a lower income than anyone else? How do they cope? So wage subsidy was apparent and, and lots of businesses utilise that wage subsidy. Um, you know, the theatre companies did and and that kept them from going under, like ATC and um, um, and Court Theatre and I'm sure Circa went for the wage subsidy as well. I don't know. I'm not going to... I'm not going to... I'm not going to... Hi. Oops. I'm on Zoom. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, because one of the things... One of the things I've always admired about actors as a profession is because it's not really a guaranteed income. You know, it's not necessarily a nine to five job, like say some, uh, some type of industries are. Uh, I mean, I've spoken to a number of actors, you know, and it's, it's like, Oh, when's my next, pay next paycheck coming? You know? So, because you're with, with your case, is it hard to sometimes be like, Oh, when's, when's the next income coming well, through? Look, I mean, I it's, it's probably a bit different with theater because it's, it's a bit more, structured i say is say compared to say like a film well i can only speak for myself uh race and uh, because i don't because you know with regards to my own confidence and my own ability and my own experience as an actor i could see what was happening we had a lockdown mm -hmm. i immediately went out to people that i knew um and said hey shall we pull mammal out of 
back on the road. So with myself, and I, you know, there was a responsibility for my technician, uh, my um, my buddy uh, Sean, who does the show, you know, um, sounds and cues. I thought, hey, this is a good opportunity for me to maybe give Sean a little bit of work during a, because he lost all his work as well, um, in the venues around Christchurch, etc. And um, and also, of course, ten percent. Uh, well, not ten percent, but the royalties to Gregory Cooper, who wrote the play. Mm. So there was three of us involved in this, and also supporting our families or our particular, um, you know, partners, etc. So yeah, we got it back up on the road, and that was because I I knew I had to do something and not just sit there and wait for it to come. We got the wage subsidy. I wanted to do something because I got the wage subsidy. It just took the pressure off about paying rent and just living from day to day. Um, you know, we didn't use the car, which was great. So I got out and walked every day. I walked every day. And I think I'm, I'm the fittest I've ever been for ages. Um, you know, approximately eight to 10K every day. Wow. And, uh, that's spinning and, um, a negative into a positive. Turning negative into a positive. And that's what I've done with, with Mammal. And, um, you know, it hasn't been hugely successful from the perspective financially, but from my own um, satisfaction as an actor and getting out there and seeing people laughing and enjoying and saying, oh, my God, we love this show. I mean, this is a six-and-a-half-year-old show, and it's still making people think about things. It's still pertinent. It's still relevant, uh, rev- rev- relevant and it's, um, it's a fantastic piece of work, and it's a one-man show, but it's like it deals with so many different things. And a lot of those things were happening in COVID, mental health, physical health, um, uh, relationship health, um, all those things um, we were dealing with and people came and saw it. And I think it was sort of like a breath of fresh air. They could laugh again. Yeah. I think that's what was really important. And what's, what's, the key to, what's the key to comedy? I mean, you've worked with the legend Billy T. James. <laughs> he was incredible. Yeah. I still think like he was ahead of his time. Oh, he was way, so way ahead of his time. And he he just had talent. He had talent coming out of every every particle in his body. Uh, he was extraordinary. Um, you know, I used to sit and talk with Billy for hours about all sorts of things. I mean, he learned his craft um, doing the pub circuit in, in the UK. That's where he learned all the accents. He's the only he's the only actor I know who can do and sound authentic almost in every accent in the world. He was extraordinary. You know, we'd suddenly be talking about it and we'd mention Japan and he'd just break into Japanese or Spanish or German or you know he, he, he you know Peter Rowley as well was um, was great mates with Peter and um, and and a couple of times we used to catch up and we'd reminisce about how brilliant Billy, Billy was. And he was, I mean, I spent a year with him on a Billy T. James show. It was a, it was a, um, that was a um, situation comedy, a sitcom um, in 1989, I think. And it was way ahead of its time. Um, you know, and I look back on it now and there's some really funny things in it, but you know, I don't know whether people like it or not, but, but that was extraordinary, you know? And um, did you learn much from him? Huh? Did you learn much from him? Like what, oh, what was yeah, that? I just, I just learned about, um, uh, I learned how to, um, uh, you know, you learn straight away about when the camera's on you and off you and, and you know, and, and where the shot is and, and what type of shot it is, mid shot, close up, long shot, blah, 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 and how the cameras worked. And if you weren't in shot, you didn't worry about it. You just got on with it. It became a sort of a, it became a sort of a, um, um, I, I guess, like a ballet between the actors and the cameras. 
and that was quite nice. And the director, we had Aileen O'Sullivan who was directing and she was very good at, at, at making the cameras work with the actors and the actors work with the cameras. And, and that, that, was, that was a great experience. Um, and, you know, so these little snippets of that that you get make the experience of it a positive one um, so that you you retain that. Um, so for the next time, you're taking a positive into your newest project. And um, and that worked with Willy Nilly. We went into, the, which was the television series we started after we made the pilot film uh, with Sean Duffy. And that was an education within itself. Sean Duffy. And, uh, <laughs> oh my God, he, he was so funny. He would take no rubbish from me whatsoever. He'd just grab me by the scruff of the neck and say, stop it. Just do what you do. Just do what you're told to do. And, and, and you know, and, and there's a lot of it, you know. We worry about, our, 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 you know, the egos and all that sort of crap. But Did you have any, you, of, any of that on The Hobbit? Because obviously, no. Because no? no, no. I, I always got the sense on those films, just from behind the scenes, that it was really much a camaraderie. There was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And the biggest, biggest promoters of it that, that were, were, were one for all and all for one was were Martin Freeman. Yeah. Um, he was extraordinary, you know, Aidan Turner. Um, and the New Zealanders were fantastic, you know, the Jed Brophys and the, and the Peter Hamiltons and myself and, and a lovely, lovely actor from lovely young who became sort of like our, our, little, our little brother, and that was Adam Brown, who, yeah. who we still, my wife and I have adopted Adam, actually. Um, <laughs> that's what we want to do. And he, he's, uh, and, and, of course, McTavish, Graham McTavish, who, who, um, who was very difficult to work with. Very difficult to work with. <laughs> he wasn't. He was my, I used to really annoy him. I used to go and stand right beside him. I think you might have seen that in the back back tapes. I'd go and stand right and push my my body into him, and he would stop me. Will you get away from me, you horrible little man? <laughs> you know, and it was fun and and um, stuff like that. And Richard Armitage, um, who played. Um, who played uh, uh, Oren, uh, Thorin Oakenshield. I mean, he, I mean, seriously, you talk about things from the perspective of, of, of following people, or great followers, and we would have followed him anywhere. He, was, he had this aura of being like, I mean, I, uh, this, this sounds terrible to equate it with something that I have no knowledge of, nor would I ever want to have knowledge of. Uh, and in its feelings, like being in the trenches and they say, you go over the top and follow the, the, follow your leader. Well, we would have gone over the top and followed Richard. We've had this discussion. You know, you would have actually gone over the top and followed Richard Armitage. And, and that's to do with the casting. You know, they cast this, this wonderful actor, Richard Armitage, as, as the leader of the, the, the dwarves. And we would have. I mean, even talking with people like John Callan, who was one of the older dwarves with us. I mean, John's been around and done an awful lot. And he's a very, very good friend of mine. And he said, he's just extraordinary, you know. Um, it was an extraordinary experience. All did, you, did you pinch yourself at all, being like, I oh, can't Oh, pinched every day. Yeah. Every day. Uh, because, um, you know, I got through the audition process, which um, we all did. And um, a good story is um, I'd been told um, when I went up uh, to do an audition, sorry, do a wardrobe call. And we hadn't, we were not allowed to let the public know that we'd been cast in, in The Hobbit yet because some parts hadn't been cast yet. Right. So I'm walking through Wellington Airport and I'm smiling. And about 50 metres down the corridor, I could see Jed Brophy. 
yeah. coming off, the, coming the other way. And he was smiling too. And we were looking at each other and uh, we both knew. And I said, have you had the same news? And he said, yep. Have you? Yep. <laughs> we just hugged each other and couldn't stop laughing. It was fantastic. And, and you know, and he, he and I, uh, he and I just bonded straight away. And he, myself and Adam Brown became the, what we call the, um, the, uh, the, the, you know, the Nori Dori and Ori, the naughty door, the naughty glories, we called ourselves or something. Anyway, and um, we had backstories for everything and, and we worked very closely as the three brothers, the family in it. I think it worked really well for us. We, you know, both the boys talk about that now as being something that was, you know, used to drive them crazy because I would say, now, where have we come from? What are we doing? How do we feel about this? And they say, oh, for God's sake, will you? And, um, and um, <laughs> you can't and, swear on here, by the way. Just no, so. Well, yeah, maybe but I, I, sometimes I swear too much, my, my God, but, um, but, but it was really good because we, we had a very close knit, the three of us were very good and we worked together pretty well. And, um, and I was like this fussy older brother of, um, of Adam and, um, Jed was the thief who had left home early. Um, and, but you know, if you, if you put that, with what the other dwarves were bringing from their their relationships with each other as brothers, and then you put that with you know the Martin Freeman, um, the magic of Martin Freeman, who made the most extraordinary, extraordinary choices. Um, that's what I learned out of that watching this this gentleman um, making his choices as to what um, Bilbo would do. Would he would he um, change it take to take? Oh yeah, yeah. He would just. Yeah. Peter would give him some um, word of God thoughts and he would take it. And then with that, then incorporate that into how he would translate that into what Bilbo Baggins would do. And um, not Bilbo Baggins. Yeah, yeah. It's Bilbo, Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. yeah this, um, it's, it's nearly a decade ago, for God's sake. But it feels like only yesterday. But um, Martin Freeman made the most extraordinary choices as an actor and to watch that, that was magic. Watching yeah. work was magic, and him working with Thorin, with um, with Richard, and and um, Ken, Ken as well, Ken Stock, um, and Graham. They had you know, and 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 the boys, Aiden and Dino Gorman, who were the two brothers, and Dean and um, Aiden hit it off like that. It was fantastic. We were to watch that. That was an extraordinary experience. And, and William Kircher was there as well. And um, oh, look, it was it was. Um, it was an extraordinary experience, and, and, and how, yes, pinch yourself. How how long did it take for the prosthetic work when you were getting all? How long did you have to sit and make up for each day? Well, some more than others, but for me, it was um, an hour first up uh, with uh, Don, my prosthetic putter on He and I had the weirdest of relationships, but it was wonderful. I loved Don, um, and then I went um, uh, to breakfast. And then I would come back and I would get my hair and um, Jamie Lee. Jamie Lee would put all my hair and my whiskers, and which was the worst part of it. Oh, God. Super itchy. Facial hair. Oh, God. Makes me cool. Oh, it just makes the back of my neck go does up it, now. Does it make you itchy, though? Oh, itchy, mate. You have no idea. I, I've got a great story. Oh, it's another bloody story. Um, uh, towards the end of filming, we were doing something in the studio at Miramar. And uh, my face was just like the, the, this, I don't know what it was. It must have been 
finally, after about a year, the glue was going, uh, was on my face and my face was going, you're not going to wear this anymore. It's just, it was just driving me crazy. So I had air blowing on it and, and or some sort of force of nature, like my hands rubbing it, it seemed to be okay, but that only just irritated it. So I thought, oh, bugger this. And we were having a, what, what was known as one of those Wellington windy days, which is a huge storm, sort of pre-storm windy days. So I went outside in <laughs> the studio and lay down uh, uh, outside on the ground and let the wind just blow through this freaking thing. Oh, fuck, it was awful. And um, so I did. I, and then Peter had actually come out to go somewhere and took a photograph of it and said um, there are poor people outside trying to get work. <laughs> camping outside or poor actors trying to get work outside camp to do auditions early and it was me and um and and i just thought oh my god but it was fun but it was was more i mean it was just um i didn't mind the the prosthetic was fine don was great the costumes were amazing but they were so heavy to start with um you know we went Because you did a boot, boot camp as well. Or? Yeah, we did a dwarf boot camp, which was yeah. extraordinary. Running around pretending to be, you know, with Terry, um, uh, who was the um, dwarf, um, the dwarf guy, making us t- making us get our get our weight down to become dwarfs, you know. So, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, oh god, Terry Notary, that's right. And um, and oh, that was fun. But um, Ken didn't enjoy that at all. Um, oh God, he was amazing. He says, "I don't want to fucking do this thing. Fucking do a fucking shit." And then, <laughs> so he had, he he was. Um, but everyone else, we there was a one day we were up way up on the hills above the golf course in in Lyle Bay, I think somewhere, and um, we were out doing sort of skirmishes, and Richard was leading us. And we were all talking in our accents, let's go that way, no, let's go this way. And then we'd run up and there was this woman walking her dog and these guys came running past doing this extraordinary sort of slightly lower in their centre of gravity gravity run and going past going, follow Thorin, follow Thorin. And then <laughs> I think it was John Cowan who stopped and said to them, look, I'm sorry, um, you don't want to be worried. Um, we've just let them out for the day, but they'll be going back. They'll be, you'll be safe, you know, so... So that was quite a good, funny story. Um, there were lots of those. There were lots of good, funny stories. Um, how did you find? How did you find the green screen stuff? Because you, because uh, well, you did motion, screen, you did yeah. motion capture as well for the um, trolls, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Bert. Oh, yeah. Bert was funny. Oh my god. Um, Pete said that's the um, used to really enjoy that because it was um, it was self abuse, um, especially when um, my character, who was um, Dory swung his bolos, right, and then hits Bert in the balls. Yeah. Um, so which is my character of the trolls. So so Pete regarded that as the most wonderful piece of self-abuse he's ever seen, um, you know. So, um, but, but, but yeah, screen screen, well, it, it's still the same. You're with the actors. It, it doesn't matter what's behind you. Um, it, 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 it um, you know, the, the splendour and the um, the openness of when we were down in, in um, you know, Auraki. Auraki was extraordinary. I mean, you could feel it. You could see feel the magnificence of, of um, you know, Auraki over down the valley. And then um, um, I can't remember the name of the lake. Um, but it was it was beautiful. But when you're in the green screen, if you're with the characters and you're working away with your acting colleagues, shouldn't make much difference really because it's just all about how the relationship develops between 
the three characters, Bert, you know, and the other two tro trolls. So it's the same with the dwarves when we were doing green screen. The only difficult bit was when we were fighting imaginary trolls. Um, yeah, um, that would be difficult. Because we to... were naked. We yeah. were absolutely naked. Thank God we were fit. Um, even Jed Brophy had to sort of sit down after about, you know, 10 or 12 takes. He was knackered. And this is Jed Brophy, who's Mr. Fitness Week. And, um, um, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, amazing. And, you know, like, oh, here comes one now. No, and it was, we were knackered by the end of it. I, you know, John, who was 10 years older than me, John was amazing. I couldn't believe it. Um, but he, he, you know, we had to keep an eye on it, and I, you know, and, of course, Stephen Hunter, um, who played uh, the biggest of the dwarves, he was wearing a huge amount of, of prosthetic and, and, and um, fat suits and God knows what. And he was, he was amazing, but he was knackered by the end of it. We all were. Everybody was absolutely stuffed. And, um, you know, um, imagining all these things, I mean, if, you, if you're doing it with a group of people and they're all doing the same thing, it's a lot easier than doing it on your own, um, imagining things. Um, well, you can um, feed off of them, I suppose. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's, that's what it's all about, you know. Have you seen the the newest technology that they're using now? Because it'll probably end up replacing green screen at some point, those virtual sets. Like, yeah, I think they've incorporated on... I've not, I've not actually worked on one, but I've, I've, um, I've seen it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, but as I say, it's still virtual. Yeah, it is virtual. Yeah. But I, I mean, suppose we, you can yeah. still, you can at least see... The background. You can I see suppose. a desk. Yeah, you can see a desk. You can see a, a thing of books, and it all adds to that feeling, I guess. But um, oh yeah, I mean it's. But I imagine the uh, the actual location shoots would would have been the best. Polaris, when we were down at the Polaris um, River, doing all the barrels. <sighs> My God, the barrels was I think one of the best parts of the whole film. It looked uh, like a theme park out. from behind the scenes. Like, oh, yeah. Like well, you know, when we went in the barrels and there was this great river, this um, water race that had been built for us out at one of the factories in Upper Hutt, which was one of Pete's storage facilities. And um, it was like, um, I think it was about, oh, it must have been 500 metres long and a rectangular, and it was powered by two V16 diesel engines, the water. It was, I mean, talk about boys let loose in a, in a Disney ride. I mean, and everyone, you know, was, it was insane. It was insane. They were all mad. We were all, it was just such fun. We'd have races around the track in this water with, um, uh, with all of us making it go faster. You know, these are these barrels that had a, a solenoid, you know, that kept the balance good and we'd be making them go bumping into each other and pushing us out of the way. Uh, I mean, Hunter and um, Turner used to go absolutely nuts with it. Um, and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's insane. It was great. Oh, my God, it was such fun. And in the Polaris, of course, we had um, we were in the actual river going down in these barrels. And, of course, we wore these fat suits, right? And you can actually see it in the film. The, the, the barrels come into shore and we get out of the barrels and you can see that everyone's really struggling. I mean, really struggling because there's like... I don't know, there must be 16 to 20 gallons of water in the fat suit. So yeah. as you tried to get up, the water would slowly drain out of your fat suit down into your boots until you finally got rid of it. And then you could stand up. I mean, you could, it, it was incredible. You had to do no acting when you got out of the water, trust me. It, um, we were stuffed, but it was... It, it, it probably will never happen again, not, not to the capacity and the the size of how that was, it was immense.
Because how many it, days? How many days shoot was it? Uh, I think it was. Was it a full year? Full uh, year. It was over a year. It was over a year. It was nearly fourteen months if you include the um, the um, pickups. Um, we didn't shoot all that long, but um, I know that it went. Shoot was nearly the whole of the year um, up to you know. We went on location for seven weeks, six weeks, six or seven weeks. And then we came back to do the pickups and they finished in January or February. And we did the pickups in May, I think, um, in 2012. And then the first film was launched in 2012, 13 and 14. And so, yeah, it was best job of my life. Amazing. Extraordinary. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of tell in the behind-the-scenes footage that everyone looked like they were having fun, which is the most important thing. Yeah, absolutely. But the good thing is we could actually, I mean, and you just watched the, all those other actors, you know, the internationals that would come in, like Lee Pace and uh, Evangeline Lilly, and, um, I mean, we even had, I mean, and Sir Ian McKellen, oh, the doyen, you know, um, you know, theatrically and filmically. Um, he loves New Zealand, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, but he's a genius. I mean, he is. His acting is extraordinary. Oh, it they is. were. You know, we even had Billy Connolly out there, which was just amazing. Dear Billy. Um, you know, um, but all the other, you know, and Stephen Fry. <gasps> oh, my God. Stephen Fry had the most extraordinary conversation with him about Black Adder, and it was wonderful how they came up with Captain Darling. Um, oh, yeah. Um, um, the actor playing, oh, I can't remember his name, who was playing Captain Darling. Um, uh, uh, oh, I can see now, my apologies. I do, I do beg your pardon. Anyway, they were having, he was having some trouble saying, oh, God, how am I going to do this? Anyway, the conversation evolved um, between him and Stephen, and Stephen said, well, maybe we should put something in his name, and, the, and apparently Captain Darling. He's a captain, darling, and, and the conversation sort of came from that. So it was that, that was one of many. And you know, Kate Blanchett had a great conversation with him. Hugo Weaving. Um, these people are just wonderful people. They're really very, very uh, erudite, uh, intelligent, wonderful people who have got extraordinary ability to not alone act but also um, make very, very good decisions about things that they do in their lives. And, and like normal people, you know, where, where there's nothing specifically different about actors, you know, they're, they're, we're, we're normal people. It's just it's so overly, so much of it is sensationalised by... It is, it is. It's just ridiculous, the how, crap that they come out with. How was it to stay kind of grounded when the whole thing blew up? I mean, you went to the premieres, obviously. Yeah. And I guess you're signing stuff and people wanting to take pictures and well, most of us, most of us were fine, you know, yeah. it, 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 because that was part of the gig, you know, um, I, I, I can't speak for anyone else uh, because but for me, it was part of the gig. I, I didn't get, I didn't get wound up in it. I didn't get lost in it. I didn't think that this specifically was going to change my life because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a jobbing actor. That's what yeah. I do. Um, and this this one just had a little bit more frills than any of the other one yeah, yeah. Uh, ones that I've done, and and I enjoyed that. And you know, I responded, I think, um, well from the perspective of being Mark Hadlow doing my job, um, yeah. didn't make up too many fusses and um, cause any problems. Um, and I just went in every day to do my job, and that is the bottom line. Um, as we were talking way back about forty minutes ago. 
Yeah. Okay. I go in every day to do my job. And, and you know, most of the guys were like that. Um, I, I'm, there probably were a couple of instances where some people got a bit dramatic and a bit egotistical and a bit over themselves. But the trouble is you do get over yourself very quickly because if you start um, – the good thing about the group, and I think what was really good, is if anyone sort of did start getting a little bit sort of um, – uh, tan- tantrumy or anything like that. I think the group would have sort of sorted them out. It was a bit like boarding school, I guess. You know, if, if someone starts, um, I remember at boarding school, if someone started to be a bit sort of um, um, over dramatic and started sort of taking center stage and on everything and doing everything, um, people would take it in hand. Um, I, I guess I, I can't, I can't, I, but I never saw anything of that. Um, from my perspective, as uh, as just you know, and we were we were support um, we were support doors. We you know we had lines, but we weren't certainly weren't um, major uh, components with regards to um, uh, you know the um, the storyline from that perspective. But our characters were vitally important with regards to being a part of the group of the dwarves because it was the story of the of you know of uh, the Hobbit, which is about the dwarves and Bilbo, ba- Bilbo Baggins. Yeah. And being a part of that was the story. That was it. So you just went with it and did what was written and you spoke. We got we had lines and I was very lucky, you know, to count them. Yeah. Do you get to – can you walk the streets and be okay or do people stop you? I, no, not like, for the Hobbit. I don't get stopped for the Hobbit. But, no well, I mean, in general, I'm, I'm because obviously oh, yeah, yeah, you've yeah, been in the game a yeah, long time. Yeah. And that's yeah. fine. I always say hello and because that's part of the job, you know. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, wow. It, 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 you know, if people stop me and, and say, um, I saw the show, amazing. Thank you so much. I hated the show. Oh, okay. Your prerogative. Thank you very much. Um, but that happens very rarely. Um, yep. But, yeah, um, part of the job, you know. And it's quite nice, especially if you get into a conversation, you know, two or three lines of conversation with people about how much they enjoyed it, what they thought about it, um, you know, specifically from theatre. I love it. I love the reactions from theatre because that's that's actually them, you know, emoting and actually saying, yes, I got that out of it. I experienced that from the live perspective. Filmically, yeah, well, that's a bit different, I think. I mean, uh, Jed and I went on uh, and three years ago did Blue Moon, which was the film that Steph Harris made and it was shot in Mochuaca. Uh, we had possibly the most satisfying and closest um, working uh, situation I've had with any actor in my life, and that was with Jed on that. Um, and it was it was great. We get recognised from that. I get recognised a lot from that from from Nelson, but I also get recognised from willy-nilly still, um, you know, and um, and um, <laughs> um, uh, Mortal Engines too, which was great. There's a lovely yeah. bit, Mortal Engines, which was fabulous, you know. Stigwood, I loved Stigwood. Um, I actually thought I wasn't in it, actually. I thought I'd been... <laughs> because I didn't get a call to go and do any post um, work, you know, um, any um, oh. ADR um, yeah. afterwards, and I thought, oh, God. Because um, normally everyone gets to do ADR, which is additional dialogue recording. Just yeah. you know, don't know what it is. And so Amanda Walker rang me to say, "Now look, are you um, are you going to come to the premiere?" I said, "Well, Amanda, 
Um, yes, I will, but I mean, I'm not expecting anything because I mean, am I still in it? I don't think so because I didn't get any. She said, "What do you mean? What do you mean? What? I, what the fuck are you talking about?" And and she said, "Of course you're in it. You're that's amazing." And I thought, "Oh, okay." I couldn't go as I was working. I was doing a theatre piece, but when I saw it, and my wife said the same thing, and about three or four other people have said the same thing. They think it's one of the best things I've ever done, which was like, it was "Oh, just, it was great." It, it caught just me in the completely moment, by surprise because I didn't even know that you were in it. So when I watched it and I saw you in it, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was a great role. It was a great role. It was a great little moment of, and I don't know, it was great, you know, because we went through a whole process, Philippa and, and, um, and uh, Peter. And, um, Did you uh, have to audition for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I, I was cast as someone else. Oh, and, okay. um, and then they asked me to play Stigwood because they said they needed someone who can really, and I think it was the theatrical perspective as well, which was yeah, yeah. in that. Makes sense. Perspective of like, you know, come on up, we've got people to sell, and it was all that sort of business. Um, but it was funny. We went through quite a, a, a selection of what accent are we going to do? Who, where is he going to be from? So we, we went down. We can't do Yorkshire because we had Dory the Dwarf. We can't do that. We didn't definitely wanted to be American because um, although the American, you know, accents in certain places are wonderful, um, it, it didn't feel right um, because it had that very um, had that very sort of like English feel to where it was, you know. Um, mm. And um, but but I thought in the same instance, well, yeah, we tried South African even, you know, to see really, yeah, yeah, we we went all over the place, and I used to read things to say, look, or maybe we could um, we could do it South African, you know, or something like that, you know. We tried it even, I think we went for German a little bit, but there was the other character that Joel Tobik played, who I uh, know, I think he was he German, I can't remember. Anyway, and then finally, I said, well, how about if I do a salute sort of thing to um, to Dame. Um, Dame Edna, because um, it's uh, actually Les Patterson, you know, like, ladies and gentlemen, it's so lovely to have you all here. I've got my shit all over my trousers and, and I've got everything. I've got my soup hanging out, you know, being an ambassador for Australia. And, um, you know, so I thought, well, let's give that a go. So um, that's where that, and Pete sort of quite liked that, you know, because uh, um, Barry Humphreys is a lovely man. What a lovely man he is. Um, it's funny, there's all these lovely people everywhere and you meet them and they go, oh, my God, you're just what I thought you would be like, you know, and it's wonderful. It's nice to actually sort of have that. I mean, the only boyhood um, hero that I've never met that I really loved was Les Dawson um, because he was a wonderful English comedian who would um, – Dad and I used to watch him on television all the time and I, he's the only actor that I've ever sent a, a, a fan letter to who actually sent something back. Really? Cosmo small piece and said to Mark, best wishes, Les Dawson. Have you so, hung it up on the wall? Yeah, yeah, it's in, it's in my little thing, yeah. Oh, good man. Thank you, Les Dawson. RIP. How, how do you manage to master so many different accents? Like, how did you learn that ability? It's the ear. So um, can you just listen to an accent and then you can instantly? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, some, you, some you've got to listen to for a while. I mean, I can't do Geordie. Uh, I mean, and, um, and the good thing is that when you know you're going to do an accent, you could then go away and research it. You yeah, yeah. Then go away and you start hearing it. You start, um, how's the lilt? 
how's the um, how's the phrasing? How does it all join together? I mean, when I'm doing Mammal, um, I have to play Tom Jones, not specifically as Tom Jones, but I have to do a Welsh accent, and it's very, very strange to actually try and do a Welsh accent because immediately some people who do Welsh accents, it can immediately go to Pakistani because yeah. it sounds like that. Um, <laughs> and one of the one of the I think there's a theory there's a theory that why the Indian accent is a bit like the Welsh accent is because when Clive of India was in India um, in the, I think, the 16th century, when he they went to, you know, um, fight there, the English Empire went to fight there, it was in the 17-somethings, 17, 17 um, the Welsh regiments went with him. So you've had all these Welsh guys in India uh-huh. going around, you see, and the, with the Welsh lilt, I don't know, it could be complete fallacy, I don't know. Anyway, but that's, that's what you do, and... Um, you know, I love accents. I think accents are fabulous, you know. And, um, oh, right. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I lived for three years in India and and I constantly talk like that all the time, you know. Yeah, I did, the, I did the same thing when I was yeah, there. I've, I've got a friend of mine, um, Arjun Gill, um, who's uh, his, his dad and I were, were uh, good friends. But um, Arjun, and he ring me up and he's like Arjun's, his mum's English, but his dad is Indian. And he read, what are you doing, man? Tell me what you're doing, you know. <laughs> so we get into this. I mean, it's terribly inappropriate. It is. But but for some reason, I, it's not it's not trying to... Um, well, it's misinterpreted sometimes as, as I suppose, being, mocking uh, or... Yeah, it, and when, it's not at all. But it's not. It's actually yeah. a salutation. Because the accent is great. I mean, I, one of the ads, one of the accents I use a mammal who's who's wonderful. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Wayne, Wayne, I am down the back here. Uh, I have expired napirash cream available for purchase at half price. It is very good for saddle sore. So pay me a visit if you have pain in ass. You know, and it's it's just it's it's just works. You know, and accents are fabulous because I think they break down barriers. They do. Um, immediately. They do. They break down barriers, and I. I think the more we hear of it, the more we realise how culturally expansive this world is, the better we're going to be. Um, I mean, I can't believe where we are now, you know, with the, with the other um, ethnicities and cultures and, and, and people from other, country, other parts of the world that live in New Zealand now. It's yeah, fantastic. it's it's very and very multicultural. Continue and grow, and I mean, and not just uh, Tangata Whenua, and not just um, Māori um, or Pacific Island. Um, I mean, the Chinese community here is huge. The the Indian community is huge, and the you know the um, the Eastern European uh, community is growing hugely here. Um, you know, I I love it. I just I, I bring it on. Another accent, love to. Yeah. Have I you mean, done much? Have you done much voice acting work? A lot. I've done a lot, but we. But isn't it funny? I was contracted to um, the radio network before it became New Zealand NZ Me, and um, I did seventeen years of um, ads and all every week for seventeen years, and then without a word, no text, no um, no telephone call, no nothing. It just suddenly stopped. Really, it's money. It's all to do with money. You know, it's like, um, and and you know, I used to love it. I'd go in there and um, with Alan in Christchurch in the studio, and do you know every week I'd have a voice session. I'd go in there and do you know six to eight to ten ads every week, voicing them. And the fun was creating the characters that you could on radio because you can do it better than you can live because your mm. face isn't involved. So you can do extraordinary things with your voice um, on a radio on a radio mic or on a mic that you can't do live because you're in such strange positions to do it you know yeah your voice is up there and you actually can't do it like that live because otherwise you're doing something else and um yeah i i I really miss it i I don't know what's happening with the um well 
voice think, situation in the world. I think like a lot of voice actors do stuff for say video games now because of yeah. Well, Graham Tavish is doing lots of that, I think. Yeah, and, because uh, video games are becoming a bit more cinematic, and there's a lot yeah. more um, film elements to mm. it, and a lot more narrative voice. on story and stuff. So, yeah. uh, and I know I had a guy on my show actually who's the founder of this um, the biggest esports uh, company in Australasia. And because I'm, I might try and talk to politicians about this when, if I get Jacinda on or whoever about, uh, more funding towards that, because there's actually a, a good, um, interlink between film and video games, particularly these days. I actually think there could be a lot of crossover, particularly for voice acting. Mm. Yeah. So I, 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 voice acting, um, I love voice. I think voice, the, the, the microphone, what you can do with the mic. I mean, I was doing a, I had to, I had to set up the um, the clothes drying horse with the blanket over it. Um, oh, yes. And I did some stuff for Ray Thompson and, um, you know, the tribe stuff. And I was doing that yesterday. And um, and I, God knows what that sounds like because you're on your own. And, 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 and I actually got lent a microphone to use and it's on the desk. And it's just, but I, I was there thinking, oh, my God, this feels so good. Uh, what am I going to do? And I ended up doing my own voice, but slightly, um, yeah, just my own voice, but I've got to find another voice for this other character I've got to do. So I'm going to be going, you know, going over it and doing whatever I have to do to do it. Is there um, anything that you haven't done that you still want to do um, in terms of like the acting world? No, I, I look, it, it, I, anything's a challenge. And as long as it still stays a challenge and as long as I still get excited by it, as long as I still um, um, uh, get anxious about it from the perspective of I need to do the best job I can with it, that's the anxiety angle, um, then, yeah, I don't care what it is. Um, you know, I do, you know, corporate's gone, you know, corporate um, emceeing and stuff like that's obviously taken a back seat because the conferences have died a bit, but I'm doing a couple this week. Um, and, uh, you know, and I love it. It's just about relating with people. I'm, I'm doing a... Uh, uh, I do a little bit of conference talking about awareness, self-awareness and um, mm. how, how we as uh, because we're using all these technologies and these these machines and we're in here doing this all the time, we lose a little bit of uh, the periphery um, of realizing how important that your awareness of everything outside of that is still vitally important um, so that you don't become um, selective with regards to what you actually um, pay attention to. And that I think also it's, includes manners and, um, you know, being aware of someone else's feelings and their sentiments and, and how they're feeling and not just shutting them off because you think you can send an email and that solves it. Emails, as wonderful as they are, uh, don't have an emotion that goes with it. Yeah, I agree. And I, I agree. And I think that's where the problem lies. So what I like to do is I like to take the email and turn it into an emotional commitment to someone. Uh, in whatever level you want to commit it in and, uh, and saying when you actually put Fred with nothing else, what is that actually saying? When you meet someone, oh, g'day, Fred, you don't actually yeah. say Fred. You actually say, hi, mate. Hi, Fred. How you doing? Everything all right? Hey, listen, just about that thing we were talking about the other day, you know, it needs to be colloquial. It needs to be, it need, still, we still need to have that communication issue. And I think one of the issues is these things don't allow us to have that emotional communication that we do one-on-one. Yeah, I agree. I, I think in this, in, in this day and age with social media and everything going digital, I think there's a portion of us that are losing the ability just to have a conversation. 
Yeah. There's some people I can talk to online and then I meet them face to face and there's almost like a socially awkward factor because they don't, they haven't learned that ability. And that's partly something that I worry about the next generation, you know, because they're growing up with all these devices uh, that didn't really grow up in our, in our day, at least not to the, deg- the degree that they are now. And so, you know, you're learning, you, you got kids who are glued to a phone or an iPad, you know, and they're not out there interacting with other kids. And it's, it's so, so important. So, so important. Vital, vital, because that's what makes the difference between human beings being able to relate to each other. And I think our communication skills um, have been wound down quite a bit. And that's why we have problems that we have. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, I can feel it all the time, you know, when you have, um, when you meet someone and they're sort of very timid and they're very awkward about communicating with you and you think, oh my God, okay. But, you know, and it's, yeah, I mean, and it's it's not that I'm a technophobe, nor I expect anyone else to be a technophobe, but there is a there is certainly uh, it's vitally important that we utilise all these all these devices that we have, but it's also vitally important that we remain attached to one another, that we remain uh, aware of someone else. You know, self awareness, self discipline, self you know self uh, self monitoring you know monitoring ourselves you know in the perspective of what situation you're in you know some people have no filter because they've been on you know they, they think they can just talk as an email blah, 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 and you can't yeah well i also know some people that will say whatever they want online but then in person they're nothing like that as well yeah. it's almost like forming like a online persona or an yeah well they become phantoms it's the phantom person isn't it the phantom person online you are an absolute asshole and then you meet them hi oh yeah hi what were you the one that said that i was an asshole no uh, did i oh i'm so sorry you were actually a lovely person you know <laughs> <laughs> Life, eh? What our kids are growing up with, what um, the generations are growing up with is. Yeah. I, mean, I, 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 I take my hat off to to, to my daughters and um, and even my little grandson, who's one. You know what they've got ahead of them is incredible. Um, but it will our our you know and your generation two three thirty years younger than me, but but um, you know it was so much more simplified when I grew up. There was none of this. None of this. Yeah. So our communication was about talking to someone. It's the only way we had to, you know, talking to someone three dimensionally, um, which is why I love theatre. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's a reminder of how things should be or used to be. Yeah. That's I mean, that's yeah. the way. It should. And then then of course there's people who will say, "Oh my God, he's just an old fart. Oh. He's just a grumpy old man." You know. And well, I actually think. It, both kind of generations can learn something from each other, right? I kind totally of feel, I, I kind of feel, and I'm starting to see this with myself, is the older I get, the kind of more stuck in your ways you get. You kind mm. of get stuck in your little yeah. bubble or your comfort yeah. zone. Well, and my, um, my ex-wife and, um, and, and her husband, who we actually call each other husband-in-law. It's very funny. Um, uh, but um, uh, John's younger than I am. And um, it, it, we've, got our, we've got a system now. Whenever either of us hear each other talking like an old grumpy old man, we go. 
Now, you can work out the C, okay, <laughs> yourself. Um, um, you know, maybe it's see you next Tuesday. But, but you know, it's like we suddenly see John go. <laughs> I might have to start using that. Oh, that's oh no, uh, and it works every time. And I suddenly go, oh, oh am I? And yeah. he goes, yes. <laughs> And it works great. It really does. It's um, good, though, that, that, that there's self-awareness in regards yeah. to that. Well, that's what I'm talking you, about. You, you know, do we, need that. That's a skill we, that's hard to acquire, I very think, much so. in this day and age, particularly if you've got a lot of yes men or yes people oh, around you. so many yes people out there, aren't there? Oh, my God. So bad. It's, it's, it's actually frightening. It's frightening. I mean, there are so many people doing jobs in situations where they've actually, um, yes, they've got the they've got the wherewithal from university. They've got the degrees stacking up behind them, you know, and they all this sort of thing. But the experience is lacking, and that is showing really interestingly enough in our business. Um, really, because oh, so, yeah. obviously you must hold auditions. Uh, well, we do, and um, you know, and there's like, there's all sorts of um, ideology behind auditions and all sorts of things, and and you know, we all have our ways and our means of doing auditions. I I still find it absolutely uh, cringeworthy when I have to do an audition for a film or television. All I'm trying to do is remember the frickin' lines that I've learned for the television audition. So how you can ever, um, you know, present a character or to uh, in an audition situation on film on being recorded so that the person looking at it can see that you're actually um can do something well, it was impossible from my perspective and my hit rate is like one percent out of a hundred from the audition perspective and and that's a uh, that's an anxiety but you know people are helping me deal with that uh, because i'm listening to them and asking how they cope with it and how they deal with it but the theatre audition is a whole different ball game um, because you you've actually got to get out there and you've got to go cha cha. You know you've you've actually got to know the words. You've got to be out there. You've got to hit the back wall. Um, whole different ball game. I have an audition for theatre for a long, 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 long time, and I don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. But all I can say is whatever whatever the situation or the rehearsal uh, process that I go in through to get into the rehearsal is, I bring the experience that I've had of forty two years with me to take onto the floor. And then from that, we build, you know, we build the, the, the performance. We build, and, and if the play's, you know, a, a tragedy or a classic or a comedy or a horror or a, a whatever it is, whatever the, the play is, whether it's a musical even, um, you, you bring that with you to, to work with people to create that, you know. So when, when you hold an audition, what are some of the common mistakes that actors will make? Oh, mate, I, I wouldn't even begin to tell you. I, I wouldn't know. But some of the, when someone hasn't prepared, that's obviously, um, yeah, yeah. yeah that's obviously the, the first eye opener. But it's just their presence, you know, the presence, you know. It, when you say presence, do you mean nerves? Like, um, are, they, are they in the role? Are they in that moment? Are they doing. What, uh, what the character is doing, is that true? Is it real? Is it honest? Um, or is it, just, um, is it just a facade? I mean, some situations, some things are facade. I mean, musicals require this ability to go in and out of doing a song, back into the play, coming out again, and the songs are sort of heightened to become very sort of like, um, almost like fantasy. Uh, I think songs with regards to musicals. Oh, Bollywood. Like, yeah, well, yeah, but uh, but but it's also. I mean, you know, um, but but they also tell a story. You know, in in reality, uh, a musical is a very romantic. Um, um, you know, the musicals of the fifties. You know, the, the 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 singing in the rains and all that were were extraordinary things. 
you know, um, you know, um, you know, all those wonderful actors, you know, um, doing those wonderful musicals, you know, and 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 that was a very much a heightened form of uh, of how people were living, you know. That's how they got out of, I guess, the the depressions and and whatever, because it's like an unreality. Um, but it's lovely. I, I love musicals. I love doing musicals. You know, I've done lots of them. Um, and uh, you know, I'm doing a pantomime at the end of the year, and I get to sing a song with Linda Milligan um, in um, Cinderella. I don't know what the song is yet, but hopefully we'll find out. But I love it. I love singing. But it's very nervous because you, like a like unlike acting, where you can actually invent dialogue if you try. In a musical, you can't because the beat never stops. I, th I think I'm the only person to ever, ever do uh, um, um, Jesus Christ Superstar. Um, we had three previews, and the previews were magic. They were magic. I mean, you know, Jesus, I am overjoyed to meet you face to face. Um, you know, and and doing riffraff and uh, not riffraff. Um, uh, uh, um, oh. Judas. No, no. Judas was um, was um, uh, no. Who was I playing? Oh, the, uh, Herod, King Herod. Christ, I can't even remember who I played. Um, playing King Herod, and uh, Will, who was the music conductor and the musical director, was he got off oh, three pretty. You nailed it, right? So I got to opening night. <laughs> Jesus, I am overjoyed to meet you face to face. You've been doing all the thing all around the place. Uh, see you later. Um, are you coming back? Yeah, we'll okay, I'll, I'll, sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll be there in about ten minutes. When are we finishing? Five minutes? Yeah, well, we can um, we can finish up in like next couple of minutes. Okay, we'll finish up the next couple of minutes. We love to. Sorry to interrupt the thing, but you know, that's all right. Ex wives and husband in laws are very important. Yeah. Um, anyone's going, Jesus, I'm overjoyed to meet you face to face. You've been getting quite a name all around the place. You've been amazing and coming to this house. I don't know what you're going to do, but something will come soon. <laughs> Just shit came out of my mouth. Will's conducting <laughs> going, what the fuck is going on here? And all the <laughs> other cast that are around on the edge of the stage are going, oh, my God. I completely lost it on the opening night, but I didn't stop. That's the thing about me. I can't rhyme. Greg Cooper, the writer of Mammal and many other things that we've worked with, well, he's hysterical. He's on the ground laughing if I have to do rhyming couplet or rhyme or do poetry. I cannot rhyme. You know, I can. The hat jumped out. No, there we go. The cat jumped out of the hat. That's it. I can't. I can't. So anyway, I got back on. But I mean, that's the thing. You know. Um, you you don't stop. You've just got to try and find your way through it. And you the brain is going, boom, boom, boom. Where are you, you fucking idiot? Get back into this thing. And 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 of course everyone dries. You you can't do anything about it. But a musical is scary because you can't hold up the lyrics. It doesn't stop. Musicals stop for no man or woman. The yeah. lyrics just yeah, keep right. on going. Um, so yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a it's a fascinating industry. Fascinating. 
I'm sorry, Rex. I'm just that's the, that's hey. This has been amazing. I'll wrap up here. I know you got to get going. Um, where where is all your social media where anyone can follow you? Um, and uh, even your mark.me.com. Um, but there's also stuff. I mean, if you look up IMDb, Mammal will come up. There's so much stuff on Mammal. Um, and um, if you just look up Mark Hadlow, it'll come up. And there's lots of stuff. But um, the social media, Instagram. I've got an Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, but um, I'm I'm not on Facebook. I don't know. There's something about it that just I'm not it's negative. I mean, if I didn't, or, if I didn't do this podcast, I wouldn't even be on social media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just find I'm I'm not interested in people's negativity. Yep. Um, for whatever reasons that they offer, unless it's positive criticism, which is yep. always a good thing. You don't um, want to be doing this. No, none <laughs> of that. Um, it, I just want old yes people. Um, right. <laughs> But look, um, I'm not afraid uh, uh, of most things, but um, I, I just don't need the bullshit, you know. Yep. I just want to get on and do my thing. And I also want to support people as much as I can, you know, especially in our industry, which is going through a bit of a tough time. So uh, if I can get out there and do things and, and do jobs to help, you know, st- stimulate our profession, especially theatrically, um, then I, I'm fully behind it and I always will be. I support totally. You know, there's a lot of my friends are in this business and um, I care about them. I care about New Zealand entertainment. I care about uh, New Zealand stuff. Uh, that's why Mammal is so good. It's totally written by a New Zealander, totally performed by a New Zealander. Uh, the lighting, everything is involved in it is New Zealand. Um, and we are as good as anywhere else in the world. Local is vocal. I agree. And that's a good place to end it. Mark, you've been awesome. Really Let me know when you're in the Hamilton area, I will buy you lunch. It is on me. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, pleasure. Pleasure, uh, my friend. Yes, I could talk to you all day, but obviously, you know, time does not permit that. But uh, that's the show, everyone. Make sure you share, like, and subscribe. Support uh, the man, Mark, and his theater shows if it's in an area near you. Uh, yeah, and until next time, stay safe. 